Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode five of the CYDC podcast. I am one of your hosts, Arushi, and we are joined here today by Mike. Mike. And on today's episode, we will be exploring learning disabilities. But before we get started, Mike, if you don't mind me putting you on the spot a little bit, I know you have some previous work experience, I think, in this field. And I was just wondering if you had any insights you wanted to share or anything just before we get started. Uh, Yeah, so I've worked with children with learning disabilities for close to five years now, five to six years. Um, And it's been an amazing experience. Uh, Kids with learning disabilities, there's a lot of stigma surrounding them and a lot of their confidence is low, but they are such bright kids and amazing kids and they're so creative and just working with them is, is a is a blast just like working with any kid but working my experience is working with them at various programs that i worked at um, through the learning disabilities association of niagara region um, here in niagara it's been um it's been such a great great time and uh, yeah i think i think just breaking those stigmas of what a learning disability is is important so very important i hope that we take one step towards that with this podcast A hundred percent. Yeah. And I think with the information that we'll be sharing today, hopefully we'll be able to provide some more clarity on on what learning disabilities are, how to detect them, what they are and what they are not. And most importantly, how to support a kiddo with a learning disability, whether it's diagnosed or suspected. For sure. Before we start this episode, I do have to, I just remembered, I have to apologize to a certain group of (laughs) individuals i guess for one of the previous podcasts that we recorded on fear or was it anxiety i mean or maybe both i can't remember now a little bit of both mostly fear though yeah so when we were talking about uh being scared of like running into a bear on the way to school uh i have to apologize to the bear community and to any bears listening to this podcast because i listened to a podcast about bears last week and it turns out they aren't as scary as I had originally thought. And I don't want to stigmatize bears as being really, really ferocious or something like that. Turns out that they're probably not that interested in you unless like you're getting in the way of their cubs or something like that. So mm-hmm. this is an official statement by Mike Shemansky that I apologize to the bear community and to any bears listening to this podcast for, you know, making it seem like they are... Um, more mean than than previously thought so yeah we've learned that they're all not that big and bad and I mean if you've ever seen a panda bear all they do is roll around and eat bamboo yeah I hope they're, they they don't have any violent tendencies if they do completely ignore this but I mean we're sorry bears we used you as an example of a scary animal and you're not so scary honestly it had never even clued into me before that podcast episode that pandas are bears oh <gasps> It had never clued into me. I was like, wait, are pandas bears? And then I did some research and I was like, yeah, they are bears. I thought that it was like a specific bear that looked like a panda. Mm. Nope, they're the they're the exact same thing. So same thing, yeah. They're very cute. <laughs> but alrighty, so I am gonna dive into our topic for today now. So jumping into what learning disabilities are now and some statistics around it. So a learning disability is a problem that impacts an individual's ability to process information, many of which includes reading, writing, math, and understanding directions and instructions. 
Roughly 8 to 10% of children have some type of learning disability, and learning disabilities actually account for roughly 40 to 45% of all disabilities. In terms of the number of students impacted, 38% of students with an IEP or an individualized education plan have a learning disability, which actually accounts for 2.3 million students in the US, so quite a few students. And if we're talking about the stigmas of learning disabilities, we are here to clarify that learning disabilities are absolutely not a representation of an individual's intelligence or smartness or anything of that sort. And it's actually been found that there are many studies that have shown that children with learning disabilities have average to above average intelligence. So it doesn't influence one's intelligence, but instead it makes tasks like studying or staying focused difficult, which in turn can then impact academics. However, it is important to note that learning disabilities are a distinct set of disabilities. They are not the same as ADHD or autism. These are three separate things. And in terms of the most common learning disability that I think a lot of people know of and that a lot of our listeners might know of is dyslexia, which impacts how a person processes language, reading, and writing. And I think on my end, one of the most common misconceptions I've heard about dyslexia is that it's simply somebody seeing letters the other way around, and that's not what it is in its entirety. There's lots of different pieces to it. And other forms of learning disabilities that might be less well known are dyspraxia, which affects one's motor skills, dysgraphia, which affects writing abilities, and dyscalculia, which impacts a person's math abilities. Perfect. Thanks for that, Arushi. And kind of on the topic of dyslexia, that's pretty much what I have worked with the most in the past as well, is um, that seems like it's the most most common one or most well-known one. So mm -hmm. uh, thanks. Thanks for that. And now moving on to diagnosing a learning disability. And so it's difficult because there isn't a definitive list of symptoms. But that being said, some of the signs of a learning disability are difficulty with memorization, trouble staying focused on tasks, difficulty understanding abstract ideas, lack of attention to detail, um, and lack of enthusiasm for reading or writing. So that's that last one, the lack of enthusiasm, is really a kind of secondary characteristic where obviously if you're having difficulty with something, your enthusiasm to kind of keep doing it um, might have, might also kind of follow suit in that sense. Um, and the best thing you can do in terms of diagnosis is talk to your doctor, pediatrician, or teacher about having your child be evaluated for a learning disability. And the most common treatment as Arushi had said before, is an individual education uh, plan or individual education program, otherwise known as an IEP. So IEPs can help outline what special services your child might need to thrive within the classroom, and special educators will help build on their strengths and accommodate for their challenges. And there are many different types of programs, both within and outside of school, that can be useful for kids with learning disabilities. So I know for in Niagara, I had worked for the Learning Disabilities Association of Niagara Region, which has a plenty of amazing programs for kids with both dyslexia and dyscalculia, the math uh, learning disability as well. Um, and there's also one in London. So it's the Learning Disabilities Association of London Region. Um, so I'm not as familiar with that one, but um, it seems like the you have some similar services. And I would like to note as well, the one thing that I loved about the Learning Disabilities Association of Niagara is it wasn't necessary to have a diagnosis uh, to access the services. So a lot of, so it, it 
could potentially those kinds of services remove barriers for kids um, mm -hmm. because there is no necessary diagnosis that is needed. So that's something mm -hmm. that's interesting. Interesting. I was actually going to ask about that. Yeah, if a diagnosis is necessary, but I'm I'm glad to hear that it's not because sometimes getting one isn't possible, especially with COVID. Assessments aren't really happening right now. So I'm happy to hear that people can get the support they need, even without that formal label to it. And some of them can be expensive as well. So just kind of removing that barrier, um, I think, can be important. Mm -hmm. And a little bit more about learning disabilities. So learning disabilities are lifelong, which I don't want to say that and scare anybody, but the reality is it can't really be cured. So instead, having a supportive environment um, can really impact how that learning disability is expressed. And it's really dependent on those environmental de demands. So what that really means is the environment you are in will determine how challenging that learning disability is. Mm -hmm. And an example I like to think about is, you know, if you're in high school, you might have a teacher that forces you to write a 10 page essay in your chemistry class, or your English teacher might force you to write an exam. While another teacher might have an assignment where you can make a presentation or a podcast or maybe record a video, and both of them are gonna assess your knowledge about a topic, but the second one where you're recording a podcast like us um, allows for a little bit more creativity and it might even be a more inclusive format because you won't, aren't required to have to write these long pages or uh, process a bunch of information all at once and read a bunch of information all at once. You can find different ways to express your knowledge. And I think that's super important because as we do know, kids with learning disabilities have average intelligence and many of them are super smart. So I think having these various inclusive formats to assess knowledge and to be able to reproduce knowledge, um, I think is important for, for kiddos. Yeah, for sure. And I think inclusivity is definitely key because I mean, while we, we know the typical ways of presenting knowledge in the form of write-ups or presentations, that simply sometimes doesn't work for all kids. And I think providing options is one of the biggest things that we've learned that children respond really well to. So I can imagine and hope that even in a school setting, one day there will be situations where even elementary age children are allowed to have those different options of how to present information to their teacher, maybe more fun and creative ways. And I think in turn, it'll also make all students, whether they have a learning disability or not, feel more engaged and excited to complete an assignment. And just diving into some secondary characteristics that we see in children with learning disabilities. Some things that also might come up are low self-concept, low self-esteem, poor academic outcomes, social and emotional difficulties, less motivation, health-related concerns, and some more. And that is why you know, recognizing the signs in your children, receiving early intervention and support, both on the learning end and also on the mental health end, are super important. Definitely. And I think from my experiences working at programs with kids with learning disabilities as well, is that's the one thing you see improve as much as their reading mm -hmm. and sometimes even more is their confidence and their self-esteem and their yeah. motivation to engage in reading. Because, you know, once you make reading fun and they realize that, you know, they can do it, like it's, it's a huge game changer. So, um, mm -hmm. yeah, it's really important as well to try to eliminate those or reduce those secondary characteristics that Rushi mentioned. Yeah, for sure. And now moving into the brain with learning disabilities and specifically dyslexia, 
so dyslexia is actually broken into two parts. So the first part is dis, which means difficult. And the second one is lexia, which stands for words, reading, or language. So when you put those together, it literally means difficulty with words. And one of the most complete definitions of dyslexia comes from over 20 years of research. And so dyslexia is a specific learning disability that is, is neurobiological in origin. It is characterized by difficulties with accurate or fluent word recognition and by poor spelling and decoding abilities. These difficulties typically result from a deficit in the phonological component of language that is often unexpected in relation to other cognitive abilities and the provision of effective classroom instruction. So with that definition, we see that dyslexia is caused by a neurological dysfunction, meaning the problem is due to an abnormal brain development. It's important to know that dyslexia is not caused by things like poverty, speech impairments, hearing impairments, or a second language. And the two main areas that children with dyslexia have difficulty with is word recognition, or uh, other common term is sight words. And this is when a child might have difficulties in fluently recognizing and pronouncing words and instead will sound them out. The second part is decoding difficulties, where children have challenges recognizing letter sound relationships either in isolation or together. So. For an example, knowing the th sound or a, the sound that a makes. Mm -hmm. And looking deeper into the brain of dyslexia, and I'll try a, to explain a simplified version, is that if we were to look at the brain from the top of our heads, we could imagine that it's divided into two parts. So we have our left hemisphere and our right hemisphere. And when we're reading and processing language, the left hemisphere is typically the one responsible. And studies looking at the differences in brain function be between children with dyslexia and children without have found that children without dyslexia have more active left hemispheres. And like I said, that's kind of expected because our left hemisphere is responsible for decoding and reading. Where children with dyslexia had less active left hemispheres and more active right hemispheres. And so what they think here is that the right hemisphere is compensating for the less, less active left hemisphere. Hmm. Thanks for that, Mike. And just kind of building off the things that you just mentioned, the reason for this is thought to be because of a clumping of neurons in the brain's development, which prevents neurons from moving to the left hemisphere and leads to underactivation. So the tricky thing about this is that your left brain is really great at reading, but your right brain it isn't. It's better at creativity and the arts and spatial awareness. And as you can see from the fMRIs, which stands for Functional Magnetic Resonance Imaging, the right brain is working super hard to read for children with learning disabilities. However, the really awesome thing about our brains is that it can change through something called neuroplasticity, which is actually a term that will get brought up again in our mindfulness episode. Based on how we use our brains, we can actually shape how they work but only with practice, kind of like a muscle. Studies have shown that after eight weeks of a reading intervention program, there are increases in left hemisphere activation for children with dyslexia. So again, with some practice. For sure. And so what does this mean for our right side of the brain? Mm -hmm. And I like to call this the magical right brain because children with learning disabilities, as we said, have very strong right hemispheres. And it doesn't necessarily, like like we said, mean less intelligence or anything like that, but it just means that 
you're very strong at thinking in a, in a different way. And so this means that children with learning disabilities are typically good at innovation, big ideas, forward long-term thinking, creativity, humor, creative problem solving, big picture processing, and even recognizing patterns. So a lot of these things that the right hemisphere is really good at because, because children with learning disabilities are using that right hemisphere more, it's really strengthening that right muscle, the right side of the brain's muscle, and um, they're really strong in some of these areas. And I can attest to this. It's quite um, amazing working with kids with learning disabilities because you really do get to see how creative and funny they are and so um, so unique, that's for sure, um, in, in every good way. So, 100%. And I think even on the topic of building self-esteem, it's so important to highlight these positives within the children in terms of their creativity and innovation and humor and problem-solving abilities and really show them that even though they might have some trouble in other areas, they're really thriving in these areas, which are still extremely important and valid. And while a child may not see that, we as adults might. So it's, I think it's a really important part of our role to highlight these strengths in a child that they might not see in themselves. I agree. So with that in mind, and we've gone over a lot about what learning disabilities are, what it kind of looks like in the brain, but I guess now we're all kind of wondering how does one support a child with a learning disability as a parent, as a teacher, whatever your role may be. So we'll just kind of start going down the list because there are many different ways. So to start off with, kind of as we just mentioned, praising effort rather than outcome. So it's really important to recognize when a child is trying their best and rather than focusing on what the right answer is, or what the wrong answer is. A very helpful thing that you could say is, I really like how hard you are trying to figure out this math problem or this reading problem, or I'm so proud of how you are sticking with this blank, whether it's a subject or a different task, and really being specific about what the child is doing and how you're feeling about it in terms of being really proud of them. Kids really do absorb these things like a sponge, so it's important to be specific. The same strategy can also be used for outside of school activities, like I really like how hard you work to catch the ball during baseball or anything else that's non-school related. It's also important to provide breaks while doing schoolwork to allow the child the opportunity to relax and refocus. Of course, as adults, we also need this as well, but especially I think with children and with children with learning disabilities, providing those scheduled breaks so they have some time to recharge, get any energy out, and then come back to being seated at their desk and doing work is a really key facet of working with children with learning disabilities. And even as adults, we all need time to refocus and recharge. I think anyone can benefit from this. Another strategy is sandwiching difficult tasks between easier ones. So an example of this would be if your child prefers math to reading, begin with a couple of math problems, complete the reading assignment, and then complete the preferred math task. The easy task will Get your child going, so to speak, and finishing with a preferred task will allow the homework session to end on a positive note. Next up is asking the child with the learning disability if they would like to help with a daily task that involves academic skills before you jump in to help yourself. So with this in mind, the child may want to figure out the task by themselves, so it gives them the opportunity to exercise some independence and also ask for help if they need it. And next up, we as adults need to realize that it's okay to model that it is okay for things to go wrong because inevitably they will all throughout your life, no matter what age you are. 
So for example, if you make a mistake while writing a letter, if in saying something simple like, oops, I spelled that word wrong, oh well, I will just mark it out and start over, is an awesome and very simple way to model mistake making and immediate problem solving afterwards and will show your child that there is nothing wrong with making a mistake because you will do it throughout all ages and stages of your life. All right, thanks for that, Arushi. And there's also a few other ones that I'd like to talk about. So the first one is to make time for the child's preferred activity. And so children with learning disabilities often require a lot of time to complete academic work. While this might be time consuming for the family, it's important that there's time scheduled regularly for your child to engage in a task that they prefer and at which they excel in. This will help your child feel capable and promote that self-esteem, which as I mentioned before, is almost as important as the literacy skills. Another one is to find a hook that keeps your child interested in school. So children may dislike school due to frustration about schoolwork, and it's important to find something about school that the child enjoys and finds motivating to keep the child hooked into attending school. This might involve getting your child involved in an activity like choir, band, student council, sports team, maybe arts club or science club. Finding a way for your child to volunteer in a way that's meaningful for them, so participating in fundraisers or serving um, as a volunteer for their library aid, and also ensuring that your child has a good relationship with a peer or educators at school. And so we do understand that some of these are a little bit, little bit more difficult now with COVID because some of these things aren't running, but I think just trying to find something that your child will be interested in with school is mm-hmm. important. And again, coming back to that motivation and self-esteem aspect. The last one is finding a role model who has learning problems to show that your child um, can be successful and that you can still achieve even with these challenges. The role model doesn't have to be anyone famous. However, a child might relate to a friend, a neighbor, or a religious leader who is willing to talk to the child about their learning problems as well. This might help inspire a child to work towards achieving a goal despite any learning difficulties. So I also think this is major, very important. Um, and even there are some books out there for children with learning disabilities that might mm-hmm. model some self-esteem and confidence around learning challenges and that um, to kind of help build their confidence as well. So even I think it doesn't have to be a real person role model. It can be a fictional role model as well. 100%. There's lots of different ways to support a child. And we hope even one of these is able to resonate with whoever is listening to this that needs some help with that. For sure. And on that motivational aspect too, I'm going to quickly talk about something called the Matthew effect, which Mm -hmm. is something that I really am interested in because the Matthew effect is a very useful concept to understand reading achievement and the reasons why LDs are difficult to diagnose, especially early on. And so the term used to describe the idea is the idea that uh, the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. So, Related to reading, it's the idea that good readers will improve their skills faster, where poor readers will improve slower. And a lot of this has to do with motivation as well, because if you aren't as skilled at reading, you might not engage with it as much. And it's a little bit more difficult to improve if you're not engaging in that reading process. And so there are plenty of graphs used to describe this effect. And if you are near a computer, you can easily just type in Matthew effect reading in Google images, and you'll see this graph that I'm talking about. But if you aren't, the graph almost looks like a V on its side. And so much like the letter V, as you move away from the point where the lines meet, 
the gap between both lines increase. And so this is similar for reading. So as time goes on, that gap between the good readers, so you could think of it as the top of the V, and the struggling readers, which is the bottom, so that gap increases between the two. And at the beginning, you could think of this as maybe like grade one or grade two, maybe kindergarten. That gap is very small, making it very difficult to notice early on. But obviously, as they approach maybe grade four, grade three or four, it's a little bit more, it's a little bit easier because that gap is increasing. And now you're like, oh my gosh, they are so much further behind their peers. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, Mike, from what you've seen, do you think there's kind of an average age where most children receive their learning disability diagnosis, kind of around what you mentioned, where it's like with kindergarten and grade one, everyone seems to be at the same spot. And then maybe as they go into grade three and four, the gap widens. So is it like eight or nine years old or? Yeah. So I, I don't necessarily know, like from my own experiences, because a mm -hmm. lot of the kids that I work with, there isn't a necessary need for a, for a diagnosis. Mm -hmm. So it's difficult for me to judge, but based on research and literature, it has shown that around the grade three or four mark is where diagnoses usually happens. Mm -hmm. um, and then you could also have a conversation on that topic about early intervention and regardless of the diagnosis or not, kind of catching those struggling readers early because then you lessen that gap or that V isn't as wide by the time they get to grade, grade three or four. So, Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. I think the early intervention, even if there is no diagnosis, is is really important and valid. And I think ultimately helps the child as they get older to grades three and four and may, may even prevent the need for a diagnosis overall. Alrighty, so <laughs> diving into what learning disabilities are and are not, a little bit of myth busting. So right off the bat, we'd like to clarify that children with learning disabilities are absolutely not lacking in motivation. As we kind of discussed earlier in the podcast, their brains process information in different ways. But luckily, with different kinds of support and instruction, children can work around these differences and learn in their own unique way. Learning disabilities can also appear in social settings, not just school. So some kiddos with a learning disability may have difficulty expressing themselves in social settings, but it doesn't always have to be this way. As with everything else we've discussed, strategies and the right support can do wonders for a child in and out of school settings. So another thing that we also kind of touched on in our episode on ADHD, are males more likely to experience learning disabilities in comparison to their female peers? No, but they are likely to be more diagnosed, similarly to ADHD as we mentioned in our previous episode. However, again, what this means is that many young females may fly under the radar and not receive the support that they need. So a little bit of facts around learning disabilities and gender, around two thirds of individuals with learning disabilities are young boys. And this may be because behavior and learning concerns in boys in school are often more paid attention to rather than their female peers. Meaning that it may be learning disabilities, it may be that learning disabilities can present themselves just as often in both girls and boys. This is why it's especially important to keep an eye on your child's behavior and learning progression even if there may not be any explicit outward signs of needing support right off the bat. And kind of on the topic of some of those facts and myths and even stigmas of learning disabilities, there are some solutions that parents or educators can use to really help approach working with kids with learning disabilities. But I think above all, it's so important to have a loving environment for the kid and a very safe space for them to feel accepted 
and to understand that it has nothing to do with their intelligence or capabilities. So as mentioned so many times throughout this podcast, because I want to reinforce this idea that a learning disability does not equal intelligence and or capability and children with learn, learning disabilities are so smart and so capable. So just reminding them that. And so on top of that, it's important to build their self-esteem, praise their accomplishments and lend a listening ear during times of distress um, and just being there for, for the kiddo. And some of that might mean brainstorming solutions and strategies to work with them together, um, which is super important. And on top of that, just having an open ear and listening to the child's questions or concerns and being empathetic with them and validating their concerns rather than brushing them away. Um, and like I said before, you know, working collaboratively um, with a kiddo to find some solutions because um, I think that'll that's so important in building their self-esteem and just ha- reminding them that they are in a supportive environment when they need as well. 100%. I think there's, there's so much value to an empathetic listening ear, being non-judgmental, and just reminding a child that they're in a safe and supportive space. Um, and just really emphasizing, like you said, the collaboration and open communication. For sure. So, with that in mind, I think we've covered what we were hoping to discuss today, at least on my end, Mike. Is there anything you were hoping to mention, or would you like to dive into the fun fact for today? Um, I think... I'm I'm good. I think I said all I all I wanted to on learning disabilities. Um, so I guess we can move into the fun fact. Wonderful. Right. So the fun fact of the podcast, drumroll, please, is um, that some famous people like Tom Cruise, uh, Michael Phelps, Adam Levine, and even Albert Einstein, who we think is probably one of the smartest people to ever live. They have all had or currently have learning disabilities, which is super interesting. When when I found out that Albert Einstein had a learning disability, I was like, whoa. Yeah. Big surprise for sure. We even have it written here in all capital letters because I think it was just such a surprise to the both of us. And I mean, it's definitely a very inspirational thing to know. And again, reinforces that learning disabilities don't have to do with intelligence. All right. Well, thank you for those inspirational and fun facts, Mike. And thank you all for tuning in this week. If you have any questions or comments about the podcast, any feedback or topic suggestions, and would like to reach out to us, you can email us at any time at the cydcpodcast at gmail.com. We have added any resources from this podcast in a link in the description. So feel free to check that out as well. As always, thank you to Dr. Colin King for giving us the opportunity to record this podcast. And a few more shout outs. The introduction, the introduction music was provided by Gaming Free Music on YouTube. And the outro music was written by Waterboy on SoundCloud. Both links are in the description below as well. We will see everyone next week when we'll be talking about mindfulness. I'm so excited. <laughs> so thank you all for listening. Yes, thank you all for listening and have a wonderful day. Thank you.